podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another week of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Leanne, and joining me as usual is Tom. Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Leanne. Been a bit of a long week for me, but um, hopefully we'll get to see Liverpool pull in a great performance at the weekend to make up for it. And obviously we've got Queen's League draw on Friday to look forward to. Um, joining us today is Ash Hebs, who's been on a couple of times, especially recently. Ash, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Leanne. Thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure, um, especially when you write such good articles. You know, it's sort of um, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on to discuss them, really. Um, and also joining us is Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Leah. Bit of a rise upon Virgin you got here. Um, yeah, it's nice, nice to be on. And, yeah, again, a tough week helped by circumstances surrounding a certain Manchester United departing the Champions League. But uh, yeah, I can't wait for the Champions League draw now. It makes it extra spicy. Yeah, and. Touching on Man U first, um, which we'll do through our article. Um, so he's written a really, really good piece recapping on what was a very frustrating result against Man U. Um, but oddly, there seems to be this weird sort of um, feeling that it's very much a blip in an otherwise upward trajectory for Liverpool. Um, Ash, you've written an article that argues that's very much the case. Do you want to talk us through it and your thoughts on the game itself and the result? Surely, and yeah. I mean, I think um, this was one of the rare, rare instances where, I mean, you know, defeat to United is always really galling and, uh, you know, you feel sick to the back teeth for about a week or maybe more afterwards. But, um, I think it was, it was such a poor start to the game, wasn't it? And then we went 2-0 down. You just thought, oh, here we go. Lovren having his meltdowns, team all over the place, couldn't keep the ball for more than two, three passes. And it just had carnage written all over it, um, kind of going into the halftime whistle. And I thought, you know, we're going to really find out now whether this team has learnt from the uh, the Wembley performance against Spurs, where things went totally pear-shaped. Um, and I, I just felt massively or pleasantly surprised, really, at, at the kind of development of the team. I mean, obviously, Man United, they'll always look to sit back and defend their lead. But I think it was just one of those games and one of those days, the way, you know, Lovren started capitulating and everyone around him started panicking. You know, it just felt like... This could be, you know, another devastating scoreline for the team. But uh, thankfully, you know, the team really battled well. It wasn't a perfect second half performance, but I just came away feeling that, you know, we gave a really good account of ourselves. Had United on the rack at the end, you know, they were really under pressure, under the cosh. And though they were, you know, they put a lot of work rate into that second half performance just to contain us. Now, obviously, you know, we scored a a kind of uh, well, the a kind of lucky own goal, but I think we did more than enough to um, at least get a draw from that game. You know, if you include the penalty shouts and some of the shocking refereeing decisions as well, which always seem to go against us. So I think all things considered, you know, it was a really good fight back. The team gave a good account of themselves, and it just showed that you know, in terms of the style of play and 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 the way both managers are approaching things, it feels like Liverpool are the team on the ascendancy, and United are just really making do at the moment and just grinding out results by virtue of the quality of player they have and the kind of money they can spend, which we, we're not able to. So I think all in all, you know, 
it was a defeat, very disappointing one. But, um, you know, that's not going to define our season, that kind of defeat. I think what, what will define our season is the character we showed in the in the second half there. Um, and that certainly bodes well for this season uh, in the tough games that lie in wait, but also going into next season as well, you know, once Klopp strengthens the squad. So over to you guys. Yeah, um, you know, you've done a really good summary there. Um, we'll probably come on to the refereeing decisions in a little bit. Um, but the question I pose to you, Alex, first of all, is despite all our progression lately, we, we still do have some real issues to address. And I think that was Man U where, um, you know, Dejan Lovren put in another bad performance against a top six team. And I think for how good Virgil van Dijk has been in the fact that he's basically a Rolls Royce, but he can only do so much along Alongside a, a rusty, you know, dust bucket like Dejan Lovren, and I'm I'm really sorry. Uh, I highly doubt Dejan Lovren listens to the writers' podcast, but if he does, I apologise. Um, but you know, the importance of needing a defensive partnership, and the emphasis really being on the partnership, because it's all well and good having one brilliant individual defence is built on more than one person. Yeah, I think it's almost imperative that this defence becomes a unit because of what it's going to have to face down the track. We know the Klopp is going to have a, and we'll come on to it later, a, a relatively liberal midfield when it comes to defending. We also know that it's the entire team is built around that front three um, or front four, depending on who we get as a Coutinho replacement. Again, if Dejan Lovren listens to the writer's pod, he should probably turn off now because it's not exactly going to be glittering praise for the, for the man who seems to prove Einstein correct in that, Insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again and expecting different results because there's just no way he's a good defender at this stage. Leon were absolutely thrilled to, to have made a profit on him when Southampton bought him for $10 million. Southampton got away with high-rate robbery when they sold him for $20 million to us because Rogers thought that defending in a team with Victor Wanyama and Morgan Schneider and made you a good defender wouldn't really just makes you a footballer because anyone can do that. It's just... Again, it's the same thing over and over again. It's the same problems over and over again. It's really wearisome now where you almost get sick of having to rant about Deja Lovren because you know the problem exists. You also know that Klopp, know the, Klopp knows the problem exists because he spent £75 million on a centre-back to, to kind of fix those woes. Um, and if Matip was in better form, I do think that Matip's a better defender than Lovren without a doubt. I also think that he's got his own problems and he's a form player. If Matip was in better form or Gomez was two years older, we could go to United and not have to capitulate because of stupid errors. Um, and I think Ash said it in his piece as well. Guardiola and Klopp are the forward-thinking tacticians in the league. And obviously, the article was based on the United game rather than the circumstances of what happened over the rest of the week. But the fact that Guardiola and Klopp are the two managers in the Champions League and Conte and Mourinho, Pochettino, okay, is forward-thinking, but at the same time, he has to be pragmatic because of the resources he's got. The fact that they're, in the, they're the two left in the Champions League and Jose, despite, okay, getting a great win over Liverpool and being pragmatic, and yeah, it's a it's a win for anti-football. Um, he's not in the Champions League anymore, and that's basically says it all. So I think uh, Klopp, again, he's on the right track. He fixed those individual kind of points of interest, the lack of creativity from midfield, which we can get onto, obviously, and the mistakes from specific players in defence. And I think uh, Klopp's kind of 
more forward-thinking approach will ultimately win out at the end of the day. Um, I think there's a couple of interesting things to note there. The first, I, was it you, Alex, who retweeted that that tweet from someone who basically tweeted, pragmatism isn't like about playing negative football, pragmatism is about doing what you need to do to win. So if you're capable of going to an away leg and winning that 5-0, that is the pragmatic thing to do. Yeah. Like, it's ultimately, almost, yeah. It's, it's like people calling the nil all away from home pragmatic, but no, it was at the end of the day, it was a bad result because they didn't get the result they wanted at home. A 1-0 win is pragmatic because you park the bus and you get a, a cheeky away goal. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, one thing that I don't necessarily agree with is I don't necessarily agree that we showed a lot of good character in that second half. I know that's one of the things you say in your article, Ash, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that because I do think, I don't think we created anything of any real quality. Um, that's I, I think we played all right in the second half. I thought we were better in the second half. I don't think we created anything of real quality. I think United kind of, I think United did out, I, as much as I don't like the, as much as I hate saying it, Mourinho did do one over on us. Admittedly, that's entirely our own fault, but ultimately, Mourinho did, when, when Mourinho got his goals, he was able to play the game he wanted to play, and as much as, as much as we could have had a couple of penalty shouts, we were a bit lucky with the own goal, and we ultimately didn't create anything off our own backs. So I do think we kind of struggled there. So I'm not, not sold on this idea that we, we necessarily, did something exceptional in the second half because in my in my mind at least the bottom line is we lost and I expect like at, yeah of course of course at two at two at two nil down at half time I looked at my mate and said this is going to finish two one we'll score a goal in the second half and we won't create anything else we'll probably like you know we'll probably have one good penalty shout turned down but that'll be the sum total of it and I I never thought for a second we draw just because I didn't think we had enough quality on the day and I I just think it's not necessarily a testament to our character but I do think that. We didn't show a lot of character. United just played the game that they wanted us to. We played the game United wanted us to play. Ultimately, uh, I don't think because they ultimately United showed no intent in attacking in that second half, which is fair play to them. Because it's like I say, Mourinho. Thing is, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with Mourinho's tactics. I prefer watching Liverpool's sort of tactics. I much prefer the Klopp style, the Pep style. And a lot of people do, but that doesn't mean that they're inherently better. And this is one where I differ on a lot of Liverpool fans. I don't think there's anything wrong with Mourinho's tactics when they work. It's it's easy to say, you know, there are circumstances where they should where he should do it. Like I think the Liverpool game, he got his tactics spot on. He he picked his he picked his moments to be aggressive. They worked really really well. The Sevilla game, I thought he got his tactics wrong fundamentally. I think, but I don't think he necessarily played the exact same game in those two games. Nor do I think they were two games that needed the same kind of tactics to go at them. So I don't think that I don't I don't necessarily agree with this whole blanket idea that. Mourinho's more negative defensive style of football is inherently bad just because it's not as entertaining because as much as there are scenarios where he should where he's gone too far and where he shouldn't do it I think against us he got it spot on and we were found out personally I, I don't know if it's necessarily inherently bad because he's definitely won with it before but don't I don't know if it works with this United side because they'll get results against Chelsea and and Liverpool obviously and those and and there were excellent individual games for United because they can play basically stifling football rather than uh, proactive football. And that's fine because it, those are the kind of games that win your titles if you can then go and back it up by beating teams that you should. And that seems to be where United have completely lost the boil. So that's, it's like, I don't know if Jose can succeed at United with this approach because it seems like he, 
he's just completely stuck in his own ways. You need to be like pragmatism is all well and good as long as the inverse can apply, where you can be pragmatic and pragmatic enough to say, right, we we can't always be negative. Whereas I don't know if Jose has. I'm not sure whether it's his old age, whether he's stuck in his ways, whether he's stubborn. But with Chelsea, he used to he used to let his attack go and tell Hazard, okay, go dribble past 14 players if you want. That's fine as long as you put the ball in the back of the net and as long as the defense is organized the way I want to do it. And then it seems like with this United side, when they attack, he's still trying to stifle that midfield. Maybe it's his team selection. But I don't know. I just I, in those big games, yeah, they, they their anti football thing works a treat. But there's no point doing that if you can't back it up with a genuine kind of football style. Whereas then you look at Klopp and Guardiola, who okay, sometimes it doesn't work. Obviously, Guardiola's worked a charm this season. Obviously, sometimes it doesn't work. But at the same time, all they need is a little tiny element of pragmatism for it to work. But what Jose needs is a dramatic shift in 75% of the games that they play that I just don't think he has right now. And it's a bravery thing as well for me. I mean, you, you know, look, you look at the way United went out the other night to Sevilla. I mean, Sevilla are a very good side. Let's, let's not make no mistake about that. You know, they've got great European pedigree. They've shown that they, you know, they can get results in Europe and, you know, they're back-to-back Europa League triumphs, you know, a testament to that. Now, obviously, Champions League's a step up. But, you know, th- these were no mugs that United were up against. You know, good tactical, organised, good technical footballing side. But I mean, Mourinho was cowardly, you know, against them. And it's not until they went, I can't remember if it was what, it was probably 2-0 down. That's when they really started to play. And you just look at the quality they've got. OK, if he's if he's playing that game plan with a limited squad, you know, Porto, for example, you know, they were far more limited than, you know, on paper than this United side. But when you've got the quality, you know, you've got, Pogba, you've got Lukaku, you've got players like Mata, you know, Rashford, Martial, you know, the list goes on, the quality players. And it's, it's just a lack of bravery, you know, and it's no coincidence that normally, you know, he wins the league and then he, you know, there's second season meltdown with most of his clubs, totally burns them out. And then he's, he's kind of off to the next job, you know, so that in itself for me is, uh, it's not necessarily to say Mourinho's a failure, but there's a, there's a longe- you know, certain longevity to his approach. And that, you know, that longevity isn't, isn't significant, you know, um, nothing that's a limitation in itself. Whereas Klopp, you know, he, he builds for the longer term. There's tangible year on year improvement. And we're seeing that with Liverpool as well. You know, probably not as much improvement as we'd like, but you know, the improvements there. I think that's where you've got to look at, you know, the ceiling again, which I was talking about in my piece. The ceiling just feels a lot higher with Klopp in this Liverpool side. It's subject to, you know, the findings that we can bring in to improve this team and this squad. I think I think I don't want to talk too much about Man United anymore because I think ultimately this is about Liverpool. I think two two quick things I'm really think. One, I do think I think Mourinho's almost become a kind of a parody of what people would always say he was, if that makes sense. Like people would always say, Oh, Mourinho's boring, negative. I think he's actually become what he has gained a reputation for being. He's almost believed his own negativity, which is kind of weird. I think the other thing is I don't th- I think he's limited by his squad, and I just don't think his United squad is that good. That's that's fundamentally what I think. I think he's the way United buy. I mean, I was talking to my friend about this this morning. The way Man United are structured in terms of the way they buy players and the way they set up the team, it just doesn't have a unifying ethos, a unifying philosophy, a unifying ideology. It's not as well conceived and not as well thought out as someone like Liverpool. And I've I've talked about this to an extent in, on the other side of it as how I think what Klopp has got is Klopp has built a club 
around him. FSG have built this team around Klopp. And as a result, you've got an ethos. You've got a team where the recruitment, where the players on the pitch, where the manager, where everything's in perfect harmony. And there's no sort of discord and there's no players who don't fit the agenda. There's no, you know, there's no players who don't fit what they want. Klopp has an idea what he wants for every player and how people fit into it. And I think you're starting to see how that works off the field as well. You see, you know, signings like Van Dijk, signings like Salah, signings like, which we'll go on to talk about Cater. These are sort of players who, they're not just signed because they are an area that we need to improve. They are kind of the archetypal perfect example of what Liverpool need for that position in order to fit the team the club is building. And you're starting to see with Liverpool towards the back end of this season how that's making some tangible results. Um, the ceiling thing is interesting, actually, Ash, because I've had a few people who aren't Liverpool fans say to me Klopp's ceiling is kind of second or third. They don't think Klopp has a title-winning season in him at Anfield, which is interesting. Um, I'm not convinced yet either way. I certainly, I, I mean, I'm I'm very much one of those people who thinks we're going to be banging the title fight next year if we can plug the holes that will be left in the summer. Uh, I think Cater's not necessarily the missing piece, but I think he's pretty much 80% of the pieces that we need. It's just a case of fixing the holes, that, the small holes that are still left. So if we lose Emery, we need to replace him. We need to sort out the goalkeeper situation one way or the other. And we probably need one more centre-back. But I think we are nearly there. It's just a case of, for me, replacing rather than having to structurally rebuild which I think is really, really good. But I think you're pretty much bang on. Klopp is building something and it doesn't feel like Man United are building something. They're just kind of going through the motions. They're shooting darts at the moment, aren't they? They're just kind of making big money signings and just hoping it all sticks, you know, kind of, um, you know, where ours is a, is a well thought through plan that, you know, if, if plan A doesn't work, that there's a kind of plan B there. You know, there's there's an alternative approach we can take without having to change things up too much. Whereas for them, it's... Uh, you know, it's this thing about just spend big, get the stars in. I mean, they can do it because they've, they've got the revenues. You know, money's never going to be a problem for them. Um, but, you know, we have to do things differently. And I think what we're doing is far more sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Um, Alex, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think a lot's going to depend on whether City becomes a dynasty or whether the Premier League is able to catch up with them. There is a um, almost a sentiment amidst other European leagues that if City are allowed to, they will become, at least over the next three or four years, like Bayern, like PSG, uh, and like Barcelona under Guardiola, in that tactically and obviously resources-wise, no one will be able to kind of compete with them. Uh, and then that will kind of spell the end for any real title challenges and people will be vying for second like we've seen this year. I personally believe the Premier League is at the state where the top six are constantly adapting to whoever's on top and it's shuffling so much that I think Guardiola could maybe win two or three Premier League titles in a row but there's no way he could build a dynasty like I think he wants to um, purely because I, I, it's just uh, the way the Premier League works the top six are constantly changing and shifting and there will be a, a side that is Manchester City's kryptonite and as soon as that happens, other teams will start latching onto that idea. So it's whether or not Jurgen Klopp can kind of weather the storm of Guardiola, find his kind of perfect players. Um, again, Emre Chan leaving is a big blow, but it's not the end of the world when you, you, you have a decent enough way of replacing him. 
if you can get someone in who either improves on or does what Emre Chan does, and at the same time bring in players like Naby Keita and bring in uh, a, a top centre-back to partner Van Dyke and get the creativity right, then what you're doing is building upon all the stuff that you've already got, which for Klopp is excellent. The last two seasons, Liverpool have both been at times awful and woeful, like that January period last season, um, and obviously certain results like the Swansea result this season, uh, even the United results, disappointing, but they've also been meteoric highs because there's, there's been points where teams saying, yeah, this team could take it to Manchester City, this team is phenomenal, this team could be top of the Premier League, this team could, uh, this team almost has the, that fabric of identity that, that, can break the duck, that can win the Premier League title. Whether or not we do is, again, based on the reaction to Guardiola City. But I think the, the basic premise of Ash's article is kind of really rock solid in that United at this stage is a blip, where in the past it maybe would have been more than just a stumbling block. It maybe would have been a almost there. I mean, obviously we don't know if we lose this weekend to Watford, then, then there's some warning signs, but you just get the feeling that Liverpool won't capitulate in the same way, which is progress. And if we can keep up that progress, then I, I can't see any reason why we can't be up there challenging city. And um, again, that fabric of identity is so strong under Klopp with the pressing, with the way he wants to play with the togetherness of the team that I think it's all kind of positive this season. I guess the other thing is, um, we're rubbish at Old Trafford. Like, as a club, we just, we have a real, real bad record there. Like, it's taken our two best sides of the, of the Premier League era to actually win there in the last decade or whatever. Like, you know, our only wins at Old Trafford in the Premier League have come in, come, come in 2013, 14, where they had Moyes and we had Pete Suarez. And then in 08, 09, when Torres and Gerard just tore the ditch a new one. Like, that's how, that's how much it takes us to actually get something at Old Trafford. Well, we're that bad there at the moment. Um, one question I did have for you, Alex, slightly tangential. You're not a fan of the bridge, are you, as the replacement for, um, as Lovren's replacement for, uh, partner BBD? Um, I, it depends a lot on the way the midfield's set up. I really like the Vry as a player. I think he, if he hadn't done his knee the way he did, well, when he did, because timing was really unfortunate with the way he was in extremely good form, then I don't think it'd be a question. I think I'd say, yeah, absolutely. But the injuries have really slowed him down. So next to Van Dyke, who's very proactive and very bustling, I think it could work. The problem would come is any injury to Van Dyke and suddenly DeVry becomes more of a liability than a bonus. And I think we need a defender who can stand out on his own. So it's not that I necessarily wouldn't like it if we signed him. I just prefer someone younger would be my preference, but also someone who can stand out on their own rather than basically relying on Van Dyke because we've already got two defenders who are like that. Ash, is there anything you wanted to add on this topic? But we'll, I mean, we'll, go, we'll come on. To talk. We've been sort of flirting around the idea of the midfield quite a lot, so we'll talk about that in just a second. But Ash, is there anything you wanted to add on the United article before we move on? No, I think... Um... You know, we've discussed most of it already. I think um, just just going back to this whole thing about kind of future contention. I mean, for me, it feels like it's probably developing into a kind of rivalry between the two Manchester clubs and Liverpool. When Chelsea, their own worst, or you know, their their own is their own worst enemy at times. You know, and he just causes chaos. 
for whatever manager's there. So normally, you know, they either get a title challenge or a title win and then it just all melts down again. So I think, you know, in terms of the sort of stable clubs, if you can call them that, then, uh, you know, the two Manchesters and Liverpool, it feels like it's going to be a shootout between those three moving forward if all things go well. You know, Spurs, Spurs, it just feels a bit untenable. You know, it's, it's only a matter of time, surely, before things fall down there as soon as they lose a couple of players or they lose their manager or both. Um, Arsenal, you know, speaks for itself, really. I don't even want to discuss them. Um, so yeah, if, if we can just keep this strategy going, I think, I think for me, what, what, what will shape our, our um, future success is that this summer's transfer window, I think what we can't afford this summer is a summer like last time when we missed our two number one targets. I, yes, we got Van Dijk later on, as I said in the article, but it's probably too little, too late for our season now. I think the defensive damage has been done and affected our season, certainly in terms of the league and the title challenge. But um, I think whatever whatever people we target this summer, we need to make damn sure we get them. If we, you know, if we're to challenge next season, because everyone else is going to carry on improving. Uh, that's it from me, Tom. Okay, well, it's a really, really good discussion uh, of that topic. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Alex, if you want to take over, mate, to, just, uh, to sort of introduce us to your article, we've, as I say, we've been flirting on the idea of the midfield. If you want to talk us through your article on the midfield. Well, that's a good segue because uh, Ash was just saying, yeah, we need to get the summer right. And for me, there's going to be an imperative point next season where we will come up against either a Swansea, who Carlos Carvajal, as he, as he was quoted saying, basically put Liverpool in traffic. Uh, and that wonderful quote of Liverpool are a Formula One team, but a Formula One car, but even a Formula One car can't get up to speed in traffic. Uh, and there will be another game like United where someone, whether it's Mourinho, whether it's another top manager who just needs to stop Klopp, will be negative and, and essentially look to stifle Liverpool and that front three. And uh, a Coutinho replacement is imperative, but... The fact that Coutinho played in our midfield three quite often, especially towards the end of his Liverpool career, um, shows me that we are still lacking that creativity from midfield. Uh, so basically my article was based along the premise of um, Liverpool requiring some more fuel to that front three's fire because if they do get marked out of the game, the creativity in the side kind of drops. Uh, we saw that with United, where if they get marked out of the game, they can't create for each other. And if they can't create for each other, there is a lot of misplaced passes, a lot of mistimed runs, the midfield passing sideways, unable to get any piercing kind of forward-thinking movement in terms of passing. So for me, it's imperative that creativity comes to the forefront of kind of our transfer window, whether that's signing an extremely creative winger slash centre midfielder like Tom Lamar um, or signing someone like Jorginho who can sit deep and kind of dictate from that kind of number eight position. Uh, Naby Keita is going to come in and he's going to be phenomenal because he's one of the best midfielders in the world. He's definitely the best midfielder in the world at what he does, which is drive, take the ball, dribble, drive, play quick one-twos, pass through the lines. But he's not extremely creative in the way that he uh, functions. He's not also that ambitious with his ball, with his passing. He won't play a massive long a long through ball over the top in the same way Jorginho will. He won't. He does certainly doesn't play the 
the amount of passes that Jorginho does. Um, and kind of my piece was looking at whether that link to Jorginho that came through Paul Joyce is because kind of naturally we need an Emre replacement and that's where we're looking, or whether it's a kind of more deep set thing of do Liverpool need a creator? And um, for me, it's definitely the latter. I also looked at uh, Nuri Shaheen and uh, Raphael Honigstein's book, Clock, Bring the Noise, which is phenomenal if you haven't got it yet. Um, I implore you to read it because it's a fantastic account of Klopp and, and it really gives you a good insight into his footballing brain. And one of the quotes that Klopp comes out with in that 2010-11 title winning season for Dortmund is uh, that Gengen Pressing is kind of the world's best playmaker, I think he directly says. Because uh, he says, it basically explores the idea that the best time to win, the best time to attack is just after you've lost the ball. Because if you win the ball back, the opposition are unseated, they're not ready for it, which is true. But then, obviously, there's the fact that Gengen pressing, as good a weapon as it is, can be marked out of the game, just like any other playmaker, uh, by the collective kind of mentality of the opponent, i.e. if Swansea sit back and just refuse to come out of their defensive shape other than two or three players counterattacking, there's nobody to press. So what can Klopp do then uh, to be a... Kind of, to kind of unlock that defense and also to supply the front three if they're if they're not working. So if we want to continue with the Fab Three being as dynamic and as incredible as they are, we can't just rely on them carving out their own opportunities, on them counterattacking so much. We need essentially what Nuri Shaheen was, which uh, Neven Subotic described as the brain of the Dortmund team, the the master of the the way that those moves worked. And really, he was the chief creator. He wasn't big. He's certainly not a physical player, um, but he has the brain and, and the feet to kind of unlock defenses. So the idea that Klopp doesn't, that Klopp only wants the kind of style of Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, those really high-intensity, demanding, um, dribbling midfielders, I think is kind of a fallacy because he's used Sahin, uh, and to a certain extent, Ilhay Gundogan, but mostly Sahin in, as a as that kind of creative hub. And the Jorginho link for me was just confirmation of the fact that, yeah, I think Klopp understands that he can't Gengen press his way to a title. He needs uh, he needs a creative force in midfield. Yeah, so it's a really interesting article. Um, Ruben Neves is another one um, that's mentioned. But just sort of the overall role and, and what Liverpool will be looking for should Chan leave, but also, you know, even if he stays, there, there is a piece of the puzzle missing. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a really good article. And for me personally, I think, um, Seri is the standout. I think he's really, really good. Um, I, I don't really know how to pronounce his name, so I apologize. I wrote an article on him a couple of months back and, uh, this was before we'd signed Navigator, but he, he really, really stood out to me the way he plays, um, his ability to unlock defenses and just, you, you know, t- uh, turn a game, basically. He was a perfect alternative to Naby Keita, I, I said in the article. So there's a lot of interesting avenues Liverpool could take in terms of their midfield. I'd be interested to hear what um, Ash and Tom have to think about the, the different options and Jorginho especially. Yeah, I think I, I really like Alex's pieces. You know, it's something that's very close to my heart, you know, the midfield discussion. Um, and it's a discussion that it feels like the fans have been having for, for about three, four years now, you know. Um, I've said many a time that I don't think this midfield is good enough to, to you know, challenge or, or be at the business end. You know, when it comes to winning, winning trophies at the moment, I think 
we probably all agree with that. You know, this this midfield is still short, especially losing Coutinho. I think you know while he wasn't necessarily you know the the kind of uh, indispensable player some fans might might suggest he was. I think you know he was an important part of that creativity from that midfield. Just his ability to pick up the ball, make things happen, just being the go-to man from the middle of the park, breaking the lines, you know, looking for quick give-and-goes, quick one-twos and things. So I think this, without a shadow of a doubt, we miss his influence, even if it doesn't necessarily mean translate itself into goals and so on. I think just just that ability on the ball and that, that kind of difference in midfield, he's a different type of player to what we have now. Um, but that, that's not to say that, the, you know, the, the players that we've got haven't done a decent job, I think. Again, this word pragmatism, I think Klopp's recognised that, OK, you know, I had this disruptive influence in Phil Coutinho. I want to get rid of him. And I think he was absolutely right to get rid of him. Uh, you know, once a player's head's gone, I, I think it just doesn't do the group any good. And Klopp's very much about, you know, the togetherness of his group and uh, team harmony and, you know, uh, kind of positive spirits and so on. So I think getting, getting rid of Coutinho is the right thing to do. Uh, but that hasn't come out without its sacrifices. And I think uh, Alex has alluded to this, you know, uh, that the team is making a certain sacrifice in the midfield. Now Klopp's been pragmatic enough to, you know, play to the maximum potential of the players he's got. So yeah, they're not going to be great on the ball. You know, it's going to be a struggle against park buses because we don't really have someone that can un- unpick the lock and someone's got the that's got the composure on the ball to, you know, just keep the ball moving from side to side and who someone who can just speed up the play at the right time. I think that's what we really lack in tight spaces. And again, we saw that against United. You know. The biggest failing in that second half, as, as Tom was talking about, you know, the lack of XG that we created was just because of this lack of innate creativity, this, able, this ability on the ball in tight spaces. Uh, so for me, yeah, you know, we, we are where we are. You know, um, let's hope it's good enough to take us to top four this season. But if we're to become genuine contenders, you know, we really need to improve on this area. I mean, Naby Keita is a massive, massive upgrade on any of the players we've got, I would say. Uh, you know, the dynamic that he's going to bring to this team is, is just, is, is an absolutely exceptional player. And I think he's going to, if you look at where we are this season, you know, Man City at the moment, in this moment in time, they're nine, nine wins ahead of us or nine wins better than us. Uh, I think it's 21, uh, 21 points advantage they've got. But in terms of wins, they're nine wins ahead of us. You know, that's a massive, massive gap to breach, uh, to bridge, uh, for next season if we're to become genuine contenders. Naby Keita in this team would maybe bridge that gap three, four games, maybe, you know, he'd uh, possibly be more uh, just by virtue of the, the qualities he brings. But I think it's not just Naby alone. You know, now that we've lost Coutinho, we haven't replaced him yet. We're losing Nemoe Chan as well. You know, there's a massive rebuild needed for this midfield. So I think players like Jorginho, you know, um, even Max Mayer, you know, is another player I really like. And Jean-Michel Suri as well. You know, he's um, he's a player that I actually wanted us to sign when we didn't bring in Naby Keita uh, this summer. Although, to be honest, um, it was it was kind of after that that we actually secured Naby for for the following summer. But at the time, I, I remember saying that, you know, if if we're not going to get Keita and we're going to get all this aggravation, let's just go for for somebody that can raise the level of this team. And so he is certainly one of those players that could do that. Um, I very much doubt he's going to join now. Now that now that Keita's arriving. But yeah, the, the one for me, if, if we can get Jorginho alongside Naby Keita in that midfield, I think we've finally got the, the balance that can elevate this team to the next level. On Jorginho's passing, you know, his tight spaces, he gets the ball, players around him, and he's always looking to play a forward pass, an expansive pass, a risky pass. Um, but he can also just settle the game down. And I think 
that's something that we've lacked, you know, with the lack of technical ability in our midfield. Uh, a lot of the time, the games that turn into draws, you know, we were w- winning positions and it turns into a draw or possibly a, a total meltdown. Uh, you know, say Spurs, for example, uh, at Wembley or Sevilla. Sevilla away, that second half in the 3-3 draw. You know, just that ability to just get the ball and the, that Alonso thing of just calming things down, picking the right pass, taking the ball from the danger zone to a bit of space, you know, just to alleviate the pressure. We don't really have anyone that can dictate that tempo. And, uh, you know, Jorginho is certainly one of the players I would love to see at the club, you know, to change that dynamic. And uh, I think that, that that's the kind of player that then makes us a genuine Champions League contender as well, potentially. So over to you guys. Yeah, I'm kind of on record on this one as I don't necessarily think we need an out-and-out creative midfielder. Um, I certainly think Ash is bang on when he talks about tempo. I think we need someone who can dictate the midfield rather than someone who can necessarily go out and create five, six chances a game. I think it's easy to look at games like the United game and the Swansea game, more the United game than the Swansea game, because actually we created quite a lot in the Swansea game. But the United game and look and say we need a creative midfielder. I just think if over the course of the season, there haven't been that many situations where we've actually needed a creative midfielder as such. It's quite rare that we've actually gone into a game and not really created enough to win it. That's a bit of a rarity for me. I certainly agree we need someone who can control the tempo of the game a bit more. Someone like an Alonso type, I think, is almost perfect. I think what we, I think Alonso is pretty much a good description because we need someone who can sit deep and dictate the play, but also is quite good defensively. Because I think I think Klopp's aim. I don't know Ash. I know Alex. Sorry, I know you've disagreed on this point because and you mentioned it in your article. Uh, I know I see absolutely no indication Klopp is going to go out and buy an out and out defensive midfielder. I think Klopp the way Klopp likes it is he likes multiple players who can do multiple things so that over the whole over the the whole midfield there's a back cohesive balance rather than one individual player filling in the defensive role. So he'd rather have two midfielders like Naby and then one other who can do the really good defensive work together because they can both defend pretty well from their current positions, than have an out-and-out defensive player and then rely on one player for the creativity. So I certainly think Naby solves part of the creative issue, but I think having someone like Jorginho, who has got a bit more tempo control, dictate the play a bit more, and also play is a bit more creative, could certainly fill that problem. And I think he would rather have someone like Jorginho play the six or play them both in like a two-man midfield then go out and buy an out-and-out defensive midfielder. I know you disagree with that one, Alex. I know you think that we, sh- if we if we go out and do buy someone like Jorginho, we need a sixth to sort of complement him. I see it slightly differently. So I'd be just curious to see what, what you think on that one. Well, in terms of, I think you're right in that Klopp doesn't want to buy a defensive midfielder. I just think if Klopp buys Jorginho, there's no way he won't acknowledge the fact that that midfield is is ridiculously light. Um, Jorginho is not a defensive player at heart. He's very offensively minded. A lot of his passes are forward, which for me is good. Uh, but at the same time, there is that kind of idea that if you buy Jorginho and stick him next to Navi Keita, you're all of a sudden get a hinder or hinder Navi Keita based on him having to do far too much grunt work. So, and that's, that was kind of the, the point of the article I wrote a couple of weeks ago, which was, uh, which, Ndidi or Jorginho, which would kind of better suit Liverpool. And that was kind of looking at the idea of, well, would Klopp get a defensive midfielder if it meant that he could get someone like Jorginho, whose prime ability is to control the midfield? For me, that's why Jorginho is not the, the kind of the target that I'd, 
I, I love him to death, but he's not the target that I'd go for. Um, because there's there's only so much Jorginho can do without that support because he has someone like Allen or someone like Amadou Diawara doing all the grunt work, allowing him to be such such a good offensive player. If he's in a midfield two with Keita, he's gonna he's definitely gonna have to shoulder the burden of that defensive play more so than he does at Napoli. So does that mean he's gonna be affected by that? Is he gonna be kind of more withdrawn? I hope not. I hope the answer is not because he's such a fantastic player with the ball at his feet. Um, I agree, though, Tom, that I don't think Klopp would buy a number six whose pure kind of role is to defend someone like Ndidi because I think he wants his players to be multifaceted, like you said. Um, But that's also the reason why I don't think he will buy Jorginho if there is that gaping hole in midfield. It's why I put those um, alternatives in there because... For me, the one that I'd go for is, without doubt, Ruben Neves, because I think he gives you that, it's like you were saying, that control. Uh, and the, the title of the piece isn't kind of based on Liverpool's creativity. It's based on midfield control. Um, and that's what I think Shaheen gave for Dortmund more than anything is amidst the... And I, I came up with this anecdote after I finished the piece and unfortunately couldn't put it in. I, th- I think it works. Tell me if it doesn't. Um, but... Klopp's kind of style, both at Dortmund and to a different extent at Liverpool, is organised chaos because that's what he sees as the best playmaker, as the best way to get his entire team functioning as a unit. Uh, And in organised chaos, it's very difficult to ascertain kind of control over proceedings unless you have one player who can control the game when you want. So amidst that organised chaos, there needs to be a conductor for the, the organised bit. Otherwise, just like Swansea, just like Burnley, and to a certain extent, like United, you can't create anything because you're so focused on trying to unseat the opponent that you're not creating any chances. So that's where all those long shots come from. Like in the Burnley game last season, the 2-0, that's where Swansea can frustrate us because there isn't a player who can sit back, tell the team, all right, we have to do something different. So... Now I'm just going to take the ball with my feet and say, okay, let's do it this way. Let me control the game. Let me dictate the tempo. Let's find a way through. So it's about control. And I don't know whether Jorginho brings that control unless he has someone doing the grunt work. For me, it's Ruben Neves or Jean-Michael Serri um, because they do the grunt work and they are defensively more capable. And whilst they're nowhere near as creative as... Uh, Jorginho, especially in the key passes and creating chances department, they bring that stability and control from deep that you kind of need to do to to be that functioning midfield controller. So for me, it'd be Neves. Uh, the other one that I get, but I've kind of refrained from mentioning, is Rabio. I think it's a bit of a pipe dream considering he's going to be extremely in demand if he wants to leave PSG, and I can't see him leaving PSG because he's such a prized asset. But um, yeah, Adrian Rabio is a phenomenal midfield controller. He can bring the ball out from deep. Uh, again, some issues over whether or not he's defensively uh, all that stable, but I think he's good enough to, to kind of combat the Premier League's counterattacks. Um, so Rabio would be my number one choice. But as I've said, I've said this previously on Twitter, 
Jorginho brings an incredible amount of creativity and this incredible amount of promise, but he also brings problems that would also be need to be addressed in the transfer market. And I don't think Klopp wants that defensive midfielder. I think you're right there, Tom. I think just it just frustrates me because listening to you talk, I just think Emre will be so perfect for what we need as well in so in so many so many elements of that. <laughs> I'm going to lose him on a free to bloody Juve. I'm just not sure. That's the thing. I'm really not sure which defensive, which player in terms of defensive midfield I really want. I don't think there are many that jump out because I just, I, it's difficult. I'm trying to think of players who've got enough, who've got a better all-round game because someone like Kante I think would work really, really well because he's a bit more defensive-minded without necessarily losing that control of tempo. I don't think he's creative enough. I don't think he's got a good level of tempo um i i think you're right i think rabio would be perfect for this but i think he is a, a bit of a pipe dream are there any names that stand out to you ash as being potentially the the answer rather than someone like Jorginho? yeah i think for me much uh, and we've had this discussion before but i think much much depends on the formation that Klopp uses but assuming he sticks with his 4-3-3 which he's invested so much time in so far at liverpool um I think, yeah, Rabio is a good shout, but it's really if Klopp doesn't believe in a defensive midfielder per se, then you know is his system well defined enough so that players can you know step in and help out each other? I've never been convinced that always works. And you know, you look at the teams that do win major titles and things; they genuinely generally tend to have a a dedicated defensive mid. Um, so I'm not sure that model's been proven. You know that you can kind of cope without one. Um, although I'm sure there are. There are some examples. Uh, but no, I think it's the right balance. I think potentially, you know, you could even, if you didn't want to buy someone, it's back to this point you're making, you know, how much of an upgrade, say, over Henderson. Say, say, MI goes, you know, we got, we're left with Henderson, who is our number six, you know, our default number six. Um, and certainly last season was Klopp's number one. Now you say, okay, how much of an upgrade is a kind of defensive minded player going to be over Jordan Henderson? And if Klopp thinks, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a massive upgrade. I don't think he'll buy. So you could maybe, he could do something out of left field, like playing Genie Wijnaldum there, for example, maybe. You know, he's he's shown he's willing to be creative with certain players and drop them back a, a kind of position on the field. So if you look at Genie Wijnaldum, say, you know, if 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 people say, okay, Wijnaldum doesn't do a huge amount in games, then why not just stick him as the defensive mid and say, okay, well, you're just going to sit there and soak up the pressure and, you know, Wijnaldum is good on the ball. You know, he's technically good. He keeps the ball moving. He's quite strong. So, um, you know, that's, that's just a left field punt potentially, you know, um, is the danger of overhauling the entire midfield is, you know, going into the season with a new midfield. It's not, not without its, um, risks. So, um, yeah, it's a difficult one, really difficult one, but, um, I think certainly we need two first choice. You know, we need a replacement for MA, there's no doubt about that. Um and we certainly, you know, we're gonna get Cater. And I think we just need an upgrade in that midfield position just in terms of on the ball quality. You know, when you've got three players then, if you get three players then that um are decent on the ball, someone who's one or two that's slightly more defensive minded than I don't know, say Nabi Cater, for example, or Jorginho, then uh, you know, you it could work, but it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one, put it that way. So I think um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we don't see a defensive mid brought in and Klopp just makes do with what he has and then goes for Jorginho as his main sort of midfield reinforcement for the summer. But 
things can change very quickly, you know, so um, I think we'll have to watch this space, but it's a fascinating discussion, nevertheless. I think Cop will, I personally think Cop will definitely bring in um, someone we won't expect, not, maybe not won't expect, he'll be, he'll bring in a more more attacking midfielder and then make them graft a bit more. So I wouldn't be surprised if, as you say, Alex, someone like Jorginho comes in and, and is expected to do more of the grunt work than he might have done in previous clubs. What I would say is that the idea of Genie playing as alone as our number six makes me want to shoot myself in the head for a multitude <laughs> of reasons. And I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm on the record as subject of Genie Wijnaldum. The reason we shouldn't play in there is that he can't really tackle and he, do, and he can't really dictate tempo. So he can't really do either of the things that we need someone to do and he's not very creative either so actually i don't think i think genie would be a, a good solution in the sense that he fit he manages to solve absolutely none of our problems i don't know i think one actually an interesting one because he's not dribbled past a lot he's no, he's no. it's kind of an underrated statistic he's of our midfield he's actually one of the most stable in terms of he doesn't let players past him but I think if you're looking for someone to control the tempo of the six, neither Wijnaldum nor Henderson works whatsoever because Wijnaldum, well, Wijnaldum defensively is better for me because I think Henderson gets caught out of position far too much. Um, and, and Henderson is just, he's a, he's a number eight who's been told to play number six. He wants to run, but he can't because of his body. Uh, it's, it's a shame what's happened to Jordan Henderson, but at the same time, I don't think there's any way back for him now and Genie, I, I don't mean you disagree on this Tom I think he's a fantastic player and I think what he does isn't necessarily quantifiable but there are certain stats where he's underrated he need he would need to get better at either tackling or at controlling a game and being able to be the one to dictate tempo but I wouldn't be that averse to him being the six uh but the only way I could see it happening is if we brought in someone like Milinkovic Savic who's very physical. He's very lazy too, though, Malinkovic Savic, so we need to upgrade that part of his game. But someone like Emre Chan, obviously Emre Chan would be the optimal kind of person to sit at the base of that midfield. But I could see someone like Gene, or even Jorginho, I could see someone like Jorginho working as the deepest midfielder if there was a really physical presence next to Navi Keita. But at this rate, I just, there is just so much that worries me about someone like Jorginho or even Genie playing as the number six when we've had problems with uh, the line between a defensive midfield in the past. So it's just, I don't know, maybe maybe someone like Ndidi is the, the best solution, but at the same time, he doesn't do enough in other facets. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious as to what Klopp will go with. I think that's the thing. That's the thing, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a deep-lying player or the numbers six to, to really push us on that next level you need a, a superb defender or someone with superb defensive nows but also su- you know superior ball quality you know the ability to just dictate the tempo as we've discussed and I think they're, they're so few and far between and probably not the sort of players that would join Liverpool at this stage um, and, that, and that's that's the big problem for me you know you couldn't have to spend huge money and huge wages on a player that probably wouldn't want to join us anyway um, so you kind of looking at the next tier down and there aren't a huge amount of choices there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the genie is just a, a left field suggestion, just, you know, something Klopp might do, but um, I, I think it's not easy. It's easy to say, okay, go and spend X amount on players, but um, it's a typical example of it. It's, it's easier said than done. I mean, I mean, look at Man United. They went out and they spent like 40 million on the Matic, who was supposed to solve all the midfield problems. 
and he hasn't sorted their balance in the slightest. They've got Scott McTominay in there now. They spent all that money on Matic and they've got Herrera and they've got Pogba and this solution seems to be Scott McTominay, who's an academy kid. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, do you think Ox could be that physical presence? Like, do you think Ox is capable no. of being... No. 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 <laughs> Unfortunately... God, even, even Leanne doesn't think so. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, I like well, Oxford you know. Chamberlain, but he can't. He can't be that present. So I think Indidi is a good pick purely because, um, yes, he doesn't have maybe the creative spark necessary, but if he can break up the play and get us the ball back and we can retain possession, someone like Naby Keita coming in is going to have a massive impact on the creative spark in midfield, and I don't think that should be underestimated. So. I just, I just, I don't rate, I don't think Indeed he's that good at the defensive side of the game. I think that, that for me is the biggest issue. I just don't think, I, I, I'm not sure he fits our system well enough as well. I just think it's, may, maybe it's just me. I just think Leicester's, Leicester in particular are very, very good at being quite tactically, not astute, but tactically setting up a certain way. And I think it's so fundamentally different to what we've got going on. That I just not necessarily sure it would fit, but that's just me. I mean, obviously, I know, I know you rate Indeedy a lot higher than I do, Alex, uh, and uh, I trust your judgment quite a lot on these sorts of issues. So, um, I'll let I'll let you have the last word then, Alex. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna say about the state of our midfield before we move on? Uh, and then obviously, Ditto, Ash, you've got anything you wanna add because uh, it's, we're coming up to the hour mark. It's been a pretty solid pod, so I'm just curious to get your final thoughts on the midfield situation. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, going back to the anecdote from before, there are lots of ways you can get control of a midfield, whether that's uh, stifling any opposition counter-attack and then getting the ball to your more creative players, um, which in our case is probably going to be Keita and whoever we sign as a Coutinho replacement in, in that instance, uh, because that's when you buy someone like Ndidi. Or you can get someone like Ruben Neves, who for me would be the optimal option, because they can sit at the base of midfield, they can be confident with the ball. They've got Ruben Neves plays a lot of long passes. It's in his natural game to feed um, what is a very dynamic, very quick, uh, but also very skillful front three. Uh, Leo Bonatini, uh, Diogo Hota, Helder Costa, Ivan Cavallero. Lots of these players for Wolves are very quick in both thought and feet. And that's why Neves kind of, I initially thought, yeah, Neves would fit in with this Liverpool squad because that front three, he'd absolutely, um, re- like revel in that or revel in that, that kind of ability to create. Or you go get Jorginho, find a way to kind of belie or counteract that defensive hole in the midfield, whether that's going out and buying Ndidi, whether that's throwing money at Emre Chan, whether that's, something else that Klopp would come up with. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that Klopp can get the control that he needs in midfield. The fact is that the matter is he does need his Nuri Shaheen. He does need either control or creativity because the front three, as good as they are, can't always keep creating for themselves. Uh, and for me, there needs to be someone to dictate the tempo to bail them out when on days like United, there is simply just too much frustration in in the stadium for Salah, Firmino and Mane to kind of get going and get gelling the way they usually do. Yeah, so, and again, for me, Neves is the one. Seri is a fantastic creator and an incredible leader as well on the pitch. Uh, 
he's more creative than Jorginho for me as a playmaker. Um, but Jorginho is more attack-minded, more—he carves out more chances technically, um, and he's more, again, more offensive, but less uh, kind of stable as a midfielder. And then someone like Rabiot would be the pipe dream. And Didi obviously is a different player, a different kettle of fish, and a different approach. But there needs to be something because not even with losing Emre Chan, but also what we've seen this season, this midfield needs control. And uh, while Gengen pressing is or may well be the ultimate playmaker, the fact is that Klopp's side needs a proper playmaker to to really take that step to the next level. And if they do get it, like I say in the article, it's not like we're that far off City. Uh, it'd be another big step towards, as we've already talked about, um, the, the way that Klopp is kind of marching towards the top of the Premier League. Uh, so for me, it's it's almost imperative that the midfield gets sorted. And, yeah, for me, it'd be Ruben Neves. Ash, anything you want to add? Yeah, just my final thoughts, Tom, really. I think, um, you know, when all's said and done, whatever permutation Klopp goes with and whoever he looks to buy, then there's a couple of things for me. Um, if we lose Emway and we, we know we bring in Naby Keita, who's quite a small player, um, I think if we bring in any other signings in, we need someone with a bit of height to add to that physicality in the team, but also... I think, you know, it's well documented that Klopp's Dortmund team were a huge team, you know, um, and that helped them at both ends of the pitch, both in the, you know, on, on set plays, uh, you know, in their half, but also in the attacking third as well. So I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, something I would look to focus on. Uh, we're getting cater, we know that. Um, but maybe whoever's replacing Emway, I think we need to match that physicality or that, or that, that size and that stature that he brings. Uh, but the second thing as well, uh, for me, really what we're saying with this team, I mean, Alex, Alex said it well, you know, Klopp needs a playmaker to take us to that next level. Well, the Gagan pressing is fine in itself as a system. Um, and you know, it's a, it's kind of offensive system, although a lot of people think it's quite reactive, uh, but it's quite a proactive, um, system that Klopp uses. But fundamentally, you know, we look at City and we look at the challenges in the Premier League and what this team needs is, is, you know, a midfield that can, dictate the tempo of the play and open up tight defences. That's the fundamental problem that we've got and we're going to, you know, it's going to become a bigger problem. And we've discussed this many times before. So I think if anything else, what we need is someone that's brave on the ball. And I think that's, that's what we need. We're, we're lacking someone with a bravery on the ball in tight situations, whether that's in the defensive aspect of the game or the offensive aspect. You know, we don't have anyone with that composure in tight spaces that can just play a quick one to get out of danger. I think Naby Keita remedies that to some extent. But I think overall, you know, what we're looking for is someone that, you know, we've got the pressing, we've got the aggressiveness, you know, we've got all those attributes in the in the midfield already. But I think what we really need is that cuteness on the ball in tight situations, that high level technical ability. And if we can find that blend, I think that was that's what really pushes onto this uh, pushes this team onto the next level where we can genuinely say, okay, we can now win close to 30 games every season, you know, um, and also be able to, to go out and control the game against Europe's best teams as well. You know, not everyone's just going to come and attack us knowing, you know, seeing what we've done against City. And I think, you know, that's what's so exciting about the draw on Friday. You know, it's going to be fascinating to see how teams approach this Klopp's Liverpool side because, you know, on their day, they're unplayable just because of that Premier League ferocity that this team has. I don't think there's any team that can really live with that. And we've seen that even in this league, you know, 
the amount of respect that the big teams give us now on City, the exception, but look what we did to them at Anfield. You know, so we, we really draw respect from the opposition. And I think, you know, taking that Premier League intensity and that ability to maintain that kind of high physical level for 90 minutes, I think, you know, teams will be petrified on the continent, whoever they may be. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out in Europe this season. Uh, but I think, you know, over time, teams will learn that, you know, you can't just play an open, expansive game against this team, especially as it gets better, because, you know, they're going to tear you to pieces. So um, I think it's really important that we have that blend of attributes where we can control the tempo and actually keep the ball. Uh, Klopp's best results come, you know, when the percentage possession is lower. But I think to see the next evolution of this side and for, for Klopp to re- really reach the ceiling that, you know, we all expect and want and he'll want as well. It's really, really to see when this team has 70, 80 percent of the ball, you know, maybe not that high. That's a bit high, but um, say 65 percent of the ball, we can actually do something with it as well um, against anybody. So that's what I'm looking, you know, whoever we bring in, they need to take us to that level. Um, and I think, you know, happy days if we can achieve that. But again, you know, easier said than done. So, yeah, wait for this uh, transfer window with bated breath, really. Yeah, I think from my point of view, as I said, um, I think first and foremost, you've got to have the, the solid defensive base. And then from there, when you retain possession, you look to to build upon the creativity in midfield. And I think Naby Keita is basically what we've described, um, what we want. And so hopefully next season he sort of comes in and, and as Ash said, remedies this this issue. Um, he won't be able to do it single handedly, of course, but someone like Ndidi just firming things up and then allowing uh, players like Navigator to flourish in midfield, hopefully adding that creative spark and adding that something different um, to glide past players, to set it off to Mo Salah, etc. So hopefully it's something that gets remedied uh, when Cater comes in. And, you know, th- there's some really, really good options in the article that I've discussed. So there's plenty of players out there that Liverpool could benefit from. It's just a case of which one does Klopp go for? Does he go for someone who's more defensive minded and looking to to shore things up doing their Emery Chan type role or does he look for someone a bit more um, creative? For me, the answer is obvious. We just give Emery Chan all of the monies and never let him leave. Chain him to chain him to Anfield. Just never let Emery leave and that solves all of the issues in our midfield. Problem solved. Um, yeah, yeah. Here, here. So, um, <laughs> so we'll do, um, we'll do some plugs now. Um, Alex, is there anything you wanted to plug? Uh, yeah, just my articles, as usual. I'll be writing twice a week. Yeah, just on, on players as we get close to the summer, on forward-thinking plans. Hopefully, Champions League is a lock by, uh, hopefully, three games to go if, if results go in our favour. We really don't want it to go down to the line. So, yeah, just keep looking at my, my work on AI. Um, and hopefully I'll be back on the writer's pod with some more fascinating insights. Yeah, it'd be good to have you on again uh, sometime soon. Ash, what about you, mate? Anything else you need to plug this week? Uh, nothing to plug at the moment, Tom, but I will be writing, hopefully, um, following a, a famous victory at Watford. A lot of anxiety in the fan base at the moment, um, probably myself included, but I think, you know, if, if, if we take anything away going into Saturday's game, you know, this team seems to thrive when the pressure's on. And Klopp, you know, seems to bring out the best in Klopp and the best of these players. So, yeah, hopefully uh, I'll be writing about something positive next week. Yeah, there's always anxiety in this fan base. They never stop. Imagine if we actually get close to winning something. Christ, it'll be unbearable. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> Leanne, is there anything you need to plug? 
Um, not for me at the moment. Um, I'll probably see how the Champions League draw goes tomorrow and maybe produce an article on that or looking at um, post-Watford, uh, uh, just seeing you know whether Manu was a blip or not. Um, but yeah, Liverpool doing very, very well at the moment. Um, contrary to what Jose Mourinho likes to say in his post-match um, interviews, coming out with some really, really weird quotes this week. Um, but yeah, you know, hopefully it keeps on going. Hopefully we get another uh, classic tie at Anfield in the Champions League and we keep on progressing. Yeah, same here. Uh, I've got a couple of articles out that I'm going to plug. Uh, I've got one about one I wrote a couple of weeks ago. It was actually well back in the last week talking about how looking ahead to the Champions League draw, there isn't anybody in that Champions League draw that we should be fearing. The idea that we shouldn't fear anyone in the draw is one of those kind of platitudes that's been thrown about quite a lot. So I just kind of have a bit more of an in-depth look at what that, what that actually means and why we shouldn't actually fear anyone and just going a bit more in-depth with that. And then the other one I've got out at the moment is how our home form is going to be really, really important in the last few weeks of the season because we've got four very winnable home games and four home games that we should be looking at 12 points from. And if we can get enough points from that hope from those home games it kind of negates the fact that our away fixtures are pretty nasty so it would like take a lot of the pressure off those games at West Brom and Palace and Everton where we're thinking look if we only need to win one of those games rather than win two or three puts us in a much much better position um so thank you for coming on gentlemen thank you as ever Leanne uh thank you to everyone who listens as ever it really we really really appreciate all the support that we get from listening to the show and obviously thank you to all the writers who you know produce week on week obviously we can't have every writer on every week but um we do try and get a good sample of them out and yeah we will be back next week presumably the same sort of time it's pretty pretty standard by now you guys kind of know when, when we're going to be when we're going to be plotting um so we will see you then have a good week and hopefully we'll be talking about a liverpool win next weekend Network.